Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. Why am I here? Okay, before some of you guys start panicking, I'm like saying, what just happened? Okay, like, is my pastor okay? Do we got to call 911? Did he just forget what's going on? All right, hold on. Let me calm you down. So here, so who am I and why am I here? All right, who am I and why am I here? Those are two questions. If we're honest, all right, online, be honest with me. How often do have you or any of us ever asked that question? In fact, that's the, probably the two biggest questions that haunts every single person, right? Think about it. Who am I? What does that speak to? That speaks to my identity. Who am I? And then what is the other one? Why am I here? You know what that one speaks to? Purpose. All right. How many of you have ever stayed up late at night? Listen, some, when I was young, middle school, high school, listen, I just turned 40 still. This is an important question even for me. All right. Who am I? Why am I here? Some of you guys are, again, middle school, high school. You're going to be graduating soon. I'm sure you're thinking about that a lot, right? You're thinking about, all right, you know, career path, right? You're getting close to that more. You know, what am I going to do? You know, who am I? You know, you get into that crisis mode, especially if you're a teenager. Now you got your hormones all raging, and now you're, oh, my gosh. You know, ladies as well, how many of you? You know, I hit that 40. People hit that mid, you know, that mid stride, and they start asking. They look back at their life, and hopefully it's not full of regrets. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, 40 years has gone by. You know, I'm at the half way more probably how many of us as adults how many of you have ever had those moments when you hit that birthday you hit that new year and you're like what am I doing with my life I don't know I'm sure we've had that question and we sure we've wrestled with that right what have I done with my life who am I why am I here and am I maximizing this life and so that's all super important and in fact again here's here's the thing about this guys because first off, if I literally was asking that question honestly, wait, 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 who am I and why am I here? Would you agree that that's a symptom of somebody with uh, amnesia, right? Like somebody fell down, they hit their head, and they're like, whoa, wait, who am I? Why am I here? What's going on? Yeah, I've, I've known some people that's happened to I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Interesting, right? If I fall down and, and now I forget things. Do you know what the book of Genesis at the very beginning, you know what God in his word calls when humanity sinned for the first time? We call it the fall. We call it the fall. And in fact, we fell so far and so hard that humanity has been in this level of amnesia, not knowing who we are and why we are here because we have been disconnected from the answer to those two things which are in God. And so what are we left with? What are we left with? Without that connection with God, we're left with, now, listen to me. When it comes to identifying ourselves, how do we do that? We use this word in our culture today, don't we? We say, I self-identify as. Isn't that a, culture, isn't that a cultural word? I self-identify as. Fill in the blank, all right? Fill in the blank. I self-identify as this. I self-identify as that. And listen, maybe you've never used that term. You know, maybe when it comes to like your gender or, or you're this or you're whatever, right? Some object or some stuff. Maybe you've never, I've self-identified as this, but you all do it. Some of you guys self-identify Cubano, Cuban, you're Hispanic, you're Latin. You know, you self-identify as an American. You self-identify as a liberal, as a conservative, don't you? That's self-labels, don't you, right? Dominican, Puerto Rican, I'm, I'm, I don't want to insult some of my, my Caribbean friends. Everybody else in Latin America, you're lumped in, I'm sorry. All right, so 
Don't we do that? Right? We self-identify with those things. Some of you with your job, you, that's how you self-identify. I am a this. I am a that. Some of you, you're athletes, right? I, you're talented. You're smart. You put your identity in yourself. And here's what you look like. You ready? Here's what happens when you self-identify yourself or when the culture says, you know, hey, I just want to, I just got to find myself. You ever heard of that one before? I just got to find myself and find myself. You know what you look like when you try to find yourself and try to self-identify? You look like this. Can we put up this power outlet? Look, look, look at this, all right? I want you to see this picture. This is what you look like. I want to give you a second to figure it out. What's wrong? There it is. You got it. You see it? Y'all see it? Figure it out. It's a, you see it? It's a puzzle. Figure it out. You got it, Juan? You get it? Everything is plugged. The black cables are plugged into the out power outlet. But where's the power outlet? Where's the, the, the multi-plug plugged into? Itself. It's plugged into itself. So are the things that you have plugged into that going to work if the power outlet, the main thing, is plugged into itself? No. So guys, online, everybody, that's what you look like when you want to find your identity and your purpose in yourself. And you wonder why we have so much mental health issues because it's not working. Your brain is not working. Your mind is not working. Your soul is not working because you're looking for an answer where there's nothing. And so I'm here to point to you the power outlet. There is an outlet that has power. There's only one and his name is Jesus. And we're going to look at this. And so without that connection, without that, that moment and that movement, guys, we have nothing. We have nothing. And so prayer is part of that thing that gets us and helps us to, in, you know, encounter those things. And so, but my point is today, my point for the, the message is, I'm going to point you to the source of your purpose. Ready? I'm here to point you to the point, the source of your source. I'm sorry, the source of your identity and the source of your purpose. And it is going to be found in the greatest prayer ever prayed. Guys, over the next three weeks, we are going to look at the greatest prayer ever prayed in the Bible, and it was recorded, all right? So we're going to do part one today, and we're going to break down the greatest prayer ever prayed. And the one who prayed it is Jesus. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, right? But I want to tell you that the prayer we're going to look at today is actually the true Lord's Prayer. So if you're taking notes, that's the, the first one. Today, we're going to talk about the the... John 17 actually contains the true Lord's Prayer. Now, why do I mean true Lord's Prayer? Because the one about hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you will be done. Well, that's the Lord's Prayer. Yes, it's the Lord's Prayer because that's how the Lord taught us to pray. But there's things about the Lord's Prayer that Jesus didn't have to pray. Jesus never had to pray, forgive me of something. And so he was teaching us how we should pray. All right. There's elements of that that were unique. So really, the Lord's Prayer should be better classified as the disciples prayer. This, what we're going to look at today, is the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed on record. And it's found in, the, in John 17. And I'm, I'm going to call it, guys, listen, it is the greatest prayer ever prayed. That's why I want to break it up over a couple of weeks. And I'm going to break it up. So it's also considered the high priestly prayer. So if you've ever seen a high priest here, this is a picture of what a high priest in, in Israel would have looked like in ancient times. The high priest had an interesting role in the Old Testament. This was one man that was chosen, per, you know, identified and chosen, and given a responsibility. 
Only one person, God said, would be allowed into the holy place, the holy of holies in the Old Testament where the spirit of God resided. And that priest had to bring a gift, a sacrifice of blood. And the high priest could only enter into the holy of holies one time once a year and he would go on behalf of the people present the sins of the people to the lord all right to god the father and with the blood sacrifice of an animal god would forgive the sins of the people for the year it doesn't matter what happened for the year now here's the thing they had to do that every single year every year so there was a dual purpose in that the purpose number one was to show hey one person there was a shadow of what was to come if one person you know, brings and represents all of the people with a sacrifice of blood before me, I will forgive all of their sins for the year. But here's the thing. When they had to repeat it every year, every year, every year, every year, it, it was also a reminder of, listen, even though this one high priest could do it, you know what? It wasn't enough. They had to keep doing it and keep doing it to show that us as humans, we had a limitation. And so Jesus, this prayer that we've, we're about to read in John 17, is considered the, the Lord's Prayer and is considered the high priestly prayer because Jesus is about to enter into, and interesting enough, the high priest, before he could enter into, he had to pray. He had to pray before the curtain. And after the prayer, he would enter into the curtain and present the blood sacrifice. Guys, that's what Jesus is doing here in John 17. He is praying right before he's about to go on the cross as Jesus, as the high priest, will enter into the throne of God, not with the sacrifice of lambs, but of himself, with the blood, his own blood, and represent the sins of all humanity. And Jesus' sacrifice was not only good for a year, kind of like a warranty, right? You ever buy something and say, hey, good for a year, money back guarantee? No, it was good for eternity. That's how good it was. And so that's the high priestly prayer. And also, just to give you a, a, a point in history, this prayer was recorded right around or after the Lord's Supper. So I'm sure you've seen this picture many times. And this is the moment in which Jesus, the last night, he's about to go. He's going to be arrested very soon. That this night, the night of the Lord's Supper, he was arrested and tried and immediately into his execution. So from here over to Easter, guys, which Easter is going to be like six weeks away. We are going to walk you through Jesus' prayers from this point all the way to the cross, from here to Easter Sunday. And so I'm excited about that. And so this is happening in between the Lord's uh, communion, which, by the way, we're going to celebrate communion today right after service. So online, if you don't have anything, I encourage you to go and you can prep that. You bring me along the phone or your laptop or just put me up a little louder on your YouTube TV, right, and figure it out. So this is happening right after communion, and we're going to take it as well. So here's the first thing as we look at verse 1. You ready? We're going to look at verse 1 and 2, and here's the first truth I want you guys to grab. As Jesus is praying, Jesus affirms the glory of the cross. All right? This is the first two verses that we're going to look like. We're only going to look at five verses today. Jesus affirms the glory of the cross when he begins the prayer. So let's look at the prayer. Ready? John records this moment at the end of, the, at the end of all things. It did it again, didn't it? All right. Online, that's my fault. I'm doing something wrong, apparently, on, the, on this. So ignore that. I'm going to read it to you online. You're reading perfect. So let me read John 17, 1 to you guys if you don't have it. Ready? Here's what Jesus says. I'm sorry, John's first speaking. Jesus spoke these things. What are these things? The lesson, his final lesson that he was giving the, the disciples when he was on the cross. Um, at the Lord's Supper, okay, during, the, during Passover. As he said these things, Jesus looked up to heaven, which was a posture of his, right? The priest would look up 
and he would pray. And this is what he said. Listen to Jesus' prayers as he starts. It says, Father. Interesting, right? How did he teach us to begin our prayers, guys, online? Everybody? Our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. So look at how Jesus starts his prayers. Father, the hour has come. He knows this is my time. The hour has come. So glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Now, guys, doesn't this sound uh, like Jesus is praying for himself? Can you pause for a second? What did, notice, I'm going to read that again. Jesus is praying for himself. He says, Father, wait a minute, what happened to your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth and give us this day our daily bread. I was like, whoa, what? Jesus off the gate says, Father, the hour has come. It's time. So glorify me, your son, so that I may glorify you, since you have given me authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone that you've given him. Guys, here's the cool thing that we're also going to learn for us. This speaks to our purpose, and how do we pray for ourselves? Because Jesus, he taught us to pray, give us this day, plural prayers. Lord, our Father, plural prayers. Where's the plural pronouns in this thing? Actually, it is, if you caught it. There's, even though he's not saying it, this is, what, this is the beauty about the Lord's Prayer, guys, or the disciples' prayer. It's not about getting the perfect right, but when you understand it, you're able to know how to pray better, and you're, you're able to know how to pray for yourself. You're able to know when it comes to you. How do you pray for things for yourself? And so I want you to catch this. Jesus' personal request actually was more concerning the Father and you and me. He was praying for himself, but not, he wasn't the one to benefit. Do you guys catch that? He wanted to, Lord, glorify me as I, so that I may glorify you. And, and you glorifying me means I get to give everybody eternal life. So what seemed like a selfish prayer, is it a selfish prayer anymore? It's not. Jesus, guys, when he prays for himself, he's praying for others. He's thinking about us, guys. He's thinking about God the Father. And so this is a cool thing for us, guys. When you want to pray about yourself, you know, think about that. If it's just bless me so my life can be happier and bless me so I can have less stress or bless me so my life can be better, no. Lord, may you bless me so I can be a blessing to others. May you bless me so I can continue to bless my wife and my spouse and my kids and my neighbors and your church and whomever. So, guys, even, self, even you can pray for yourself, but you never lose sight of God and others. And you know what's kind of cool? In that opening prayer that I just read in those two verses, Jesus technically prayed. May your name be honored as holy and may your kingdom come, which is eternal life, and may your will be done, which is the cross. Jesus embodied those first three elements of the disciples prayer in his prayer look at that jesus is not one to say do you know you do and i don't man no that is super awesome but here's the point that, that i want to look into before we do something else jesus understands his purpose before we find yours you need to look at i want you to see jesus here jesus is confident he knows the time has come it's my time. This is what it's all been coming to and culminating. It's the cross. Jesus was confident and ready to fulfill his purpose on the cross. But notice, when he was asking God, Lord, give me glory so that I may give others eternal life. So guys, I'm going to challenge you. You and I get to give. Now, I know that sounds like, a, like not a, a privilege. It is. But when you ask, when you want to get something from God, who are you going to give it to? You know that God asked, and James says, God does not answer some of your selfish requests because he knows you just want to get and not give. 
You know, God does not answer those prayers. He's not going to give you anything if you're not ready to give. Give him glory and give others and serve others. You and I get to give, and that speaks to our purpose. Now, that speaks to our purpose because Jesus saw his purpose as what? Glorifying God and giving of himself to others. And so, guys, I'm going to tell you, if you want a little lesson here about how do you find my purpose, you don't self-identify and you can't find your purpose in yourself. See, your purpose is actually experienced when you pour yourself out rather than being poured in. See, here, this is the image of being poured out. Isn't this the complete opposite of self-identifying and self? What are you doing to the self in this way? You are emptying yourself, aren't you? You're not trying to fill yourself with, and you're emptying yourself. Emptying yourself. In the Old Testament, there was something called a drink offering that was poured out. You know, I know that in like hip hop culture, that was a big thing, right? You, you know, you, you take your 40 or you take your something, you pour it out, you know, one for the homies, right? You, you know, there, there's something about that, that even in our culture, we pour things out onto the ground as a way of honoring others. Well, listen, not only did the Old Testament do that, Jesus prayed and said, I wanted to pour myself out. You know when he said that? During communion, during the Last Supper. He, when he picks up the wine and they're about to all drink, he says, this is the blood of my covenant that will be poured out for all of you. Guys, look at the king of the universe willing to empty himself out. And you and I have the audacity to not do the same or want to. Come on now. But not only that, Paul, that was Paul's favorite phrase. Paul would say, I just want to be a drink offering poured out for others. Guys, you want your purpose? Do you want to find purpose in life? Look at how Jesus lived this understood purpose. You don't find purpose by being filled like that, by just you, you, you. You actually find your purpose in being poured out for the glory of God and for the good of others. What God gives you, you are to now give for others. So if you want purpose, it starts there. Now here's point number two, ready? So the first one, notice how Jesus affirmed the glory of the cross. Look at verse number three. He now reveals the glory of eternal life. Jesus reveals the glory of eternal life. In the previous verse, he just said, God, glorify, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. And how is the Son going to glorify the Father? By giving others eternal life. And now look at verse 3. I'm going to read it because it's kind of funny on here. I'll figure that out later. Verse 3, it says this. And this is eternal life. So listen, guys, I don't know if you ever online, let, let's pause for a minute. So I know maybe you guys can read the verse. But before, if you, if you were going to, if you thought eternal life, what do you think of when you think eternal life? Online, I want to type it. I'm going to look back and read it. So all right, but put it, type it up. Now here in person, you tell me when I say eternal life, shout it out. What's something that you think of? Eternal life means what to you? If you were going to define eternal life is, what's something you would say? Worshiping God. Eternal life is. What do you think? What do you see? When you see eternal life, what do you see? Huh? Heaven. Right? And then whatever heaven may look like. Right? What else do you see when you think of eternal life? You know? Hopefully angels. Some of y'all, y'all are thinking about your glorified selves. I was like, listen, all right? What else? What else? Singing. You think of heaven. Maybe Jesus. Huh? The throne. Eternal life right? Peace. Now, by the way, none of you guys are all wrong. You're, 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 you're all right, but there's one specific answer. Do you know that Jesus in this prayer says, this is eternal life and defines it? By the way, let me say one other thing online. Answer this. When does eternal life begin? Online, when does eternal life begin? When do you think eternal life begins? When you get saved? 
Some people, let's be honest, did anybody ever think of eternal life as, well, I die and then I go into eternal life? That's a common, that's a common understanding. When does eternal life kick in? When you die. And then you go into eternal life. Well, here's the kind of the irony of all of this. You and I all will live for eternity already. You and I all live for eternity. Scripture says that every single individual will live for all of eternity. And when the scripture says eternal life, it doesn't mean that if you have Jesus, you're going to live forever and those who don't, don't. No, no, we're all going to live. But the eternal life is this. Here's Jesus' definition. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and that the, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. See, this is now a specific eternal life. This is eternal life, guys. I don't know if you saw this, because you guys all gave good answers, which aren't necessarily wrong, but you were. All right, here's the right answer. The right answer is eternal life is to know Jesus. It's to know that God, that God is, there's the one true God. And that Jesus came to this world and lived the life you and I could not live and would receive the punishment of all of our sins so that we could be forgiven. By the way, John 3.16, we're reading the book of John. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die, meaning that you, you will not spend your eternity in the absence of peace and love and all of the things that you said. They will not have, but what, what will they have? Eternal life. And so in the same book, Jesus defines eternal life. And by the way, you just heard the definition of what does it mean to believe. Do you know that eternal life is not given to you just because you uh, know, right? Here, oh God, that they may know you and know Jesus Listen, just because you know, just because you know about God, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you're going to get in. Guys, let me help you with that. Even Jesus himself said, there's going to be people who knew of me, but I did not know them. And, you know, not that he knew that he didn't know their names. It means that they're, this is what it was. He didn't know them because they never trusted in him. And that's the definition of knowing. When he says, this is eternal life. And guys, this is, if, for, if you're a believer, I want you to fall in love with Jesus all over again when you understand what this has been. All right? When, if, in order to know Jesus, it means to believe. Right? For all who believe would not die but have eternal life. So to know is to believe. And to believe is to trust. And to trust is because you are convinced about the character of the God in which you place your trust and faith in. And what, who he is and what he's done. And so eternal life, guys, you guys were right, that, that said eternal life begins when you get saved now. Eternal life is for today. Guys, eternal life is for today. You and I can get to know and grow into knowing this amazing God, walking with him. Guys, even now, this is what we're doing. As we're looking into his word, are we not trying to remind ourselves again of this God that we cannot know fully, but yet we want to know further? This is what we're doing right now, guys. And eternal life means this. It's not about getting. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. And it is not about doing. Can't perform to get eternal life. It is only something that can be given because of what Jesus said. Notice in prior to, he said, glorify me so that I may give. Why? Because you and I can't go get it. You and I can't go get it. You guys remember the image of that uh, uh, plug? Can you, can you put that plug back up, uh, Antonio? You guys remember the image of the plug here? 
Let me ask you a question. Can that plug at any moment, now this can be a little controversial, but I don't want to get there, all right? It's for another day. Can this plug unplug itself and get plugged into a true power source? It is not. It can't. Someone else has to do it, right? Now, it can get a little deeper than that in regards to, okay, well, you know, obviously we're alive and the, the plug is dead, but whatever. And so, but the idea is this, guys, only the hand of God can unplug you from sin and death and, and break the cycle of death and plug you into eternal life, the source that is only found in God. And so this is what we get. And here we get to see what eternal life is. And when it comes to, again, our purpose, guys, our purpose, and God's purpose was that, was to give you it was to give you purpose, to give you life, to save you from your sins. This is not the one you want to hear, but this was it. It was his purpose was to save us. And that knowing when Jesus says that eternal life is that you may know. Do you know he uses that word earlier in chapter, in, um, previously, there's another section. Let me see if you have it up there. No, I'll, I'll read it to you later. And um, there's another place in which he talks about if you, uh, if you abide in me, which is knowing, if you abide in me, and if you abide in my words, which some of us were doing now, and you abide in my love, which is who I am, if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce fruit. There will be life in you. And then Jesus says the statement that some of you may know, and you didn't even know Jesus said it. If you abide in my words, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you. Some of you know it. There it is. Some of y'all know it, right? Do you guys know Jesus said that? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. People quote that a lot. They don't know it was Jesus. Jesus says this. This is where we're pulling it from. Now, there's some other elements that people may have quoted at ancient times too, but Jesus is saying that if you know this truth, and what is the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, and who you are? Guys, to know that Jesus is a Savior means that you have to know that you were a sinner, that you were a sinner, that we needed him. And so here, Jesus, that's, that's the idea here that he sets us free. Now, here's this image. Can we put up the... Um, you got to think of this as, as that. This is like a jailbreak here, okay? This is a cartoon. This is a, a video game called Jailbreak. And guys, I want you to know that this is a continual thing. This is what it looks like when you know Jesus. To know Jesus is to set you free from the prison of your ignorance, from the prison of the lies. This is what it looks like, guys. This is you. You run from the lies and you run into freedom in Christ Jesus. But also know that you got some, you're going to be hunted down by enemy, you know, the demons. All they want to do is trip you back up in the lies. And so, guys, you know what eternal life looks like? It looks like this. It is you running from now till all of eternity, running to Jesus, running to the truth. And the more you abide in the truth and you abide in him and you run to him, he will continually set you free. The second some of Christians think, oh, well, I'm good. I got saved. I can coast from here, right? I don't need the Bible. I don't need church. I'm not. Now you've, you know, you're still saved, but now you caught. You locked back up again. Some of you that you know, you've taken breaks from God. Took a minute to get out, didn't it? And when you did, right? Remember those? I've done those. You take a break from God and you're back in a different jail cell. They got you. You're still saved, but they got you. Guys, this is what eternal life looks like. When you know God, you, he sets you free, but you keep running to him, running to his word, running to who he is. This matters. And so here's part of even talking about your purpose again. Here's the thing. How are you set free, guys? What's the thing that this is eternal life that we may do what? What's the word? know that we may know him and guys here's that you want to understand your purpose you want to find your purpose in life here we go i'm gonna give it to you for free you find your purpose when you ponder 
in who God is. In the story, you find your purpose more and more the more you ponder the story of Christ. Now, this kind of sounds a little, uh, we all do this. Think about this. Anybody love, or you've been to those parties, get-togethers, and um, you have that same person that every time you meet them, they always say that same story? You ever had one of those? Right? You ever had that uncle that shows up and was like, hey, man, remember, you remember, right, when this, you remember? and remember when you meet up with your high school buddies, right? Oh, you remember, man, that one night, man, we won that championship, that play, I had you, right? You remember that? You, you guys remember this, right? You always do these things, right? Don't we all, anybody here, the, who's, point to the one who's the guilty person that, that has stories on repeat all the time, all right? You're the one, anybody have those that this is, bro, constantly. Now, or let me say this, do you actually enjoy, do you actually enjoy saying, hey, mom, dad, can you tell me that story again about this? You, let me give you some examples. I used to love going to my grandparents' house, my both sets, because they both lived within a five-minute drive from each other, not even three. I used to love to go to their houses when I was in my 20s. You want to know where I spent a good chunk of my 20s my, during the day? If I wasn't working, I was at school. And if I wasn't at school, I was at grandma's house. Number, you know why, number one? Because I ate for free, okay? Number one, I ate for free. And so, and I ate good, all right? And so I went there every time. But you know what I did? I loved to do. All right, I used to sit down at the table. I missed this. Saying, I used to sit down at the table and say, well, can you tell me that story again about, about that? Yeah, can you tell me that story again, how, how you guys came from Cuba, went from California, and came back here? I used to sit down with my grandma. She passed away last year. I was like, Abu, can you tell me that story about... But, you know, she used to love telling me that story about how I came up with my own name, Tito, by the way. Tito, Tito, T-I-T-O, I named myself, all right? I think I was two. She used to, she loved to tell that story over and over again about, you know, I remember one day, because they used to call me Israelito, Little Israel, and because my grandfather's name was Israel, my great-grandfather's name was Israel, my dad is in Israel, they call me Israelito, and I just got fed up with it. Apparently, at two, I was like, yo me llamo Tito. <laughs> End of story. Since two years old, I've been Tito since that day. But my grandma used to love to tell that story. I used to tell my grandfather, Papum. That was my grandfather, that's what I called him. He turns 92 today. Papum, can you tell me that story about how you broke out of that concentration camp? Can you tell me that story about when I used to run up to all of the gas stations when you owned a gas station and I thought every gas station belonged to you? Can you tell me that story again? I used to love that. I miss that. I have three, three out of four grandparents that are passed away and one is, you know, he's 92 today. And, I can't ask him those questions anymore. But I remember. I'm glad I did. I've told stories. I've asked my parents questions. Mom, can you tell me the day that you guys got saved? Can you tell me that story again about this, about how you guys met? Now, let me ask that question. Have you guys ever done that? Have you guys ever done some of those things? Some of you, I have just given you now. This is how dinner should look like from now on. Let me tell some of y'all. I don't know about you, so I, you know, I got my cousin Paul here, so I was saying, Paul, you should ask questions for your parents, you know? Uh, bro, I got some right here. You, bro, Eric, ask questions about your mom. Ask questions about this. Ask questions about your parents, you know? I start asking questions about my dad. Sometimes my parents are, you know, they talk a lot, but sometimes they don't, so I have to pull it out of them. So I'm like saying, um, can you tell me about how it was like to raise me as a, as a middle schooler? Because I got three of them. And so I'm asking, can you tell me the story about what it, what it was like? Because maybe you can give me some insider information. Guys, isn't it interesting that when we, we like to retell stories, don't we, as human beings? Why? There's this, we get our identity from these stories, right? We learn about our history. We learn about our past, our family. And when we retell these stories, it affirms our identity. And sometimes by retelling these stories, it gives us purpose, doesn't it? 
It roots us in something. By the way, what do we do every single Sunday as a church? Don't I stand up here and I'm just retelling you a story that's been in a book for 2,000 years. Don't we do the same thing? Why? We're just re, I'm retelling the stories of Jesus over and over again. Why? Because I want you to know if you were a believer in Christ, this is his story is our story. It's history. His story is where you get your source of identity and purpose. Remember I said you get your purpose when you ponder on the story of Christ if you're a Christian. And the only way you can be is to know Jesus. And the more we retell, the more we dive back into this book. And this is why it's so unfortunate, guys. Listen, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of snakes in the grass that will tell you, the Bible is good, but I need something else. I need something else outside of this. I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon said, you can visit other books, but you live in the Bible. Visit other books, but live in the Bible. Why? Because this is love letters from home. This is our Heavenly Father you sitting by the table and telling our Heavenly Father, what's the story again? Can you help me? Let's review that story one more time. What else is the thing that I haven't seen yet in there? Guys, your purpose is found in your pondering. And here, that's what eternal life is going to be all about. Eternal life is going to be continually having mind-blowing experiences because, guys, we're going to know a God that can't be known fully. That's why we have all of eternity just to linger in that mystery. Here's the third point. So not only does he affirm the glory of the cross, Jesus reveals the glory of eternal life. He now rejoices in the shared glory of his father. Now, this is a good lesson for all of us, guys, because when you achieve something great, right, this is for my glory. But we're going to see how Jesus shares the glory of his father. Great leadership lesson. Great, great. But not only that, look at Jesus. Let's look at verse four and five. I'm going to read it to you because the screens are jacked up. That's my fault. Here we go. After saying, this is what eternal life is, to know Jesus and, and to know the God, the Father that has given Christ for eternal life, John three sixteen, verse 4 says this, I have, Jesus speaking of himself, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Heavenly Father, I did it. I'm done. I did what you told me to do. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before. The world existed. Already there, that says something interesting about Jesus. Guys, Jesus is not something that was born. Like de- the, Even though the son was, well, the, a child was born, but the son was given because the son has lived from all of eternity. Here we see that Jesus, the son, has been around from the beginning. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the same. That's for another day. But guys, here, this is an interesting thing. But I want you to see the confidence. Did you catch that? He's saying, Lord, I've done what you've called me to do. And so now I ask you, Lord, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Guys, you know what Jesus is showing in these words? We're reading slowly because I want you to, we're retelling the story so you can see it. Guys, look at this. What Jesus is showing us is a level of confidence before he meets and runs up to the cross. Jesus is not freaking out. Guys, think about this. He is not freaking out. He's not panicked. He's not worried. He is confident as he is on his way. He knows the hour has come. He knows he's going to die on that cross. He knows what it's going to look like. He knows it's going to be painful. He knows it's going to be difficult. This is not a surprise. But do you see the confidence in Jesus here? That it does, Lord, I am trusting in you. Glorify me. Let me give you a translation. You know what it means to glorify Christ? What he's asking for, he is, in essence, he's saying, Father, I know I'm about to die on this cross. 
but I commit my spirit to you. I trust you, Father, that you will not abandon me into hell, into darkness, into death, but that you will raise me back up to life. That is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, Lord, I have lived and done what you've needed me to do. I am now going to die on this cross. Father, I trust you that you are going to raise me back up from the dead. You know what's amazing about this little verse, guys? It's going to shine a lot of truth in the next coming weeks. Because wait a minute, wasn't Jesus freaking out when he was in the garden right after this prayer? He's sweating and so stressed out that he's sweating drops of blood and he's freaking out. And isn't he saying, if there's a way for this cup to pass, Lord, may it be, you know, is he scared? And then what about Jesus on the cross? Father, right? Why, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? How many times have we read those things? Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What's, by the way, you're going to freak out when you realize what that meant. Um, Good Friday service, you're going to freak out when, when you realize what that meant. But what we, I don't want you to forget this. Jesus is not confused, and he is not scared. He is not cringing at the cross. He is confident. He knows what's about to go down, and he trusts that his Father will raise him from the dead. And guys, when we pray, our confidence should be in this God, that Lord, I trust you in such a way. May we learn to do that. And so, but not only that, let me, let me show you this again, guys, because notice again, even though he's saying, God, I did what you wanted me to do, so now give me your glory. He, this doesn't sound like a Jesus that maybe some of like us, right? It was like, Mom, I, I, what would you guys do? My, my kids, you guys just did this yesterday. What did you guys do? You said, oh, they have something that they owe me today, and they have to do this. And, and we're doing a little thing. If they do this, they get 10 bucks. And one of them like saying, all right, all right listen, Dad, uh, if I do this, right, you're going to give me money, but, uh, but how about this? If I get the money, then I get to do this, and I get to do something else. I'm like, hey, 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 calm down. Hold on. You know, I'm sure we've all done that, right? When we said, all right, Daddy, I did what you called me to do. Now give me something. Pay up. You said you were going to give me $10. Give me $10. Jesus isn't saying, I did what you've called me to do, Father, so now it's time for you to pay up. Jesus isn't talking like this. Because, again, when Jesus is asking for the Father to glorify Jesus, what's it for? To raise him from the dead so that you and I can get what? What is it again? Two words. Eternal life. Jesus was asking, glorify me, but in you glorifying me is because I want to point them back to you. And so look at this sign. Guys, I want you to know this is how you and I ought to pray. You and I should be a sign that when you and I pray, Lord, for some of you, okay, God, uh, what, what career should I do right now? You know, as adults, we change careers a lot, right? And so it, that happens, right? We, we change cities, we change this, we change that. Very normal, okay? That happens. But for some of us, like, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? In essence, guys, no matter what you pray, our biggest prayer should be, God, may, may I be, may you use me, Lord, to be able to be and live a life that I point others to you. That's how Jesus is praying for himself, but he's not really praying for himself, guys. He's praying for us. He is praying, glorify me so that I can point them to you. And guys, you want a purpose? You want to find your purpose? Here we go. Pay attention. You want to find your purpose in life. Not only should it be poured out, you live, you experience, you live out your purpose when you're being poured out. You understand your purpose the more you ponder in the stories of God, because that's the plug, that's the source. But also, you fulfill your purpose when you are pointing others to Christ. And here's the good news, guys. You can do that if you got a job or not. You can do that. You know what's amazing about our purpose in Christ? It doesn't have to come with a paycheck. 
Our purpose in Christ does not have to come with a paycheck. It doesn't matter. You can have a non Listen, let me help you. Let me help you because some of you think, oh, you know, pastor, you got the per- you got the job. You got the job. Some people think, you know, the missionary, they got the job. This person, they got the job. Why? Because I'm doing nothing but pointing you to Jesus. But guys, listen, my job is no different and no more holier than yours. Than yours. Oh, you don't got a job. Maybe you just go to school, right? Whatever then I think you got a job. I don't know, but whatever. Like there's no difference. Some of you, you're retired, right? That's good. You got more time to point people to Jesus. That's all that is. Listen, it doesn't matter if you are a high-level executive or you're at the bottom of whatever, you know, at the bottom of the ladder at the top or anything in between. You and I are called to point others to Christ. That is part of your purpose. That is at the essence of your purpose. And in fact, when you do that, it gives life to even the most meaningless job you have. Some of you hate your jobs. It's okay. You want to make your job better that you hate right now? You want to make it better? Point people to Jesus. Watch how much you're going to fall in love with that job in a way that you never could have done before. How do you point people to Jesus? You love them. You encourage them. Pray for your coworkers, whatnot. Yeah, you're going to be the weird one. Oh, well, point people to Jesus because that's where you find purpose in life. When you point them to him. And, and I'm, let me just help you one last as we're running the corner. Listen, do not, let me just give you a warning here because sometimes when people point others to Jesus, they do it this way. Tell me if you've heard this online. Uh, let me get a, a head nod from some of y'all. Give me some thumbs up. Some of head nods here. Have you ever heard someone point to others to Jesus and said this? Hey, have you heard of Jesus? No. Oh, do you know something about Jesus? Let me tell you something. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Raise your hands. You tell me. Raise your hands if you've heard that one before. God loves you and has a plan for your life. You might have used that one. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Online, you heard that one before? God loves you and has a plan for your life. That's how many times people point people to Jesus at the beginning. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Is that good? No. I don't think that's good enough. That's cheap. You know what that implies when you say, first off, did I lie? Does God love people? Does he lie? Does God love people? 100%. Does he have a plan for people? 100%. But when you pr- present the introduction, hey, God loves you and has a plan for your life. W- would you accept him into your heart? Yeah. You know what? God loves me. I love me too. Okay. I, l- I love myself too. And God loves me just the way I am. All right. I got this. Nice. Oh, and he has a plan. I have a plan too for my life. Do you think that his plan is going to reinforce my plan? Okay. Let's do that. And a lot of times when you present something to God loves you and has a plan for your life and that's it. It's not enough because you know how much God loves someone? God loves you and he loved you so much that he laid down his life for you, a sinner, an enemy of God. He loves you despite the fact that you love yourself and that's called sin. But he loved you so much that he died on that cross and not only paid the penalty of all of your sins, but he, it, he experienced trauma so that you can find healing with all of the trauma that you've experienced from the sins of others. That's how much he loves you. And by the way, he has a plan. And his plan is to save you. And his plan is to give you eternal life. You see how that's a little different? While the other one is like, oh, wow, I'm going to join Jesus because my life is going to get better and life is going to be cool. And this is and then when it doesn't, you know, they, they create a fantasy. And some of you may have been frustrated with your faith because you you put your faith in the fantasy instead of the reality of what does it mean that God loves you? And what does it mean that he has saved you? And here's the thing. Again, if you want to find purpose, guys, let me tell you this purpose. If you, here's the last two things for your notes. Purpose is a person. Purpose is a person. It's not in you. 
Purpose is a person and it is found in Christ. Purpose is a person. And you know what this person wants to do? He wants to share. Here's the last two things of it notes. He wants to share his life and his victory. He wants to share his life and his victory with you. Those are the last two things. All right. Purpose is a person and he wants to share his life and his victory because that's what eternal life is. He wants the very life that's in Christ. He wants to breathe life into us. But it's not only life. It's that victorious life. It's the victory over sin and death that we get. This is part of it. Now, have you, um, by the way, victory, guys, is God's name. He is an overcomer. Now, have you ever, some of y'all may be rocking these shoes. Anybody own a pair, have ever worn a pair of Nikes, right? You ever seen this uh, before? I'm sure, I don't know if you know, but you know what the word Nike means? The word Nike is the Greek name for the God, victory. Nike means victory. And it's the name of the God, the Greek God, victory. And so what's the slogan? Just do it, right? But here's the thing, guys. Nike, victory is not just Nike. No, victory is spelled Jesus, J-U-S-U-S. He is that name. Jesus, and the reason why you and I have victory is not because we can go do, it's because he did it. He died and and overcame sin and death on the cross. He did it. And because Jesus is victorious, because he has overcome the world. Now, this is why Paul says that we are more than overcomers. We are conquerors. Why? Did we do anything? No, we just put our faith and trust in the one who did. Right? That's it. Look, the, the, the Bucks won a Super Bowl what, a couple years ago. And you know what? You know there's people that got Super Bowl rings that did not put on a jersey and step on the field? You guys know that? People get championship rings without putting on a jersey and stepping on the field. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, because they're a part of the organization. Jesus is the only one who got on the field and defeated sin and death on his own. But if you believe in him, you are now part of the family. His victory is our victory. And we get a crown because he has his. Not because of we. all we did was put our trust in Jesus. This is why John in the future sees revelations. In Revelation 21, 12, you know what he says? And they overcame the devil. What did they do by overcoming the devil? They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. Do you know, you know how we overcome and experience victory and purpose in life? When we trust in what Christ did on the cross. And the word of our testimony means, what is our word? That we believe in Christ and trust in him. That's what eternal life is. Guys, you and I can't fight the devil. You, don't go, you, you and I don't go to toe-to-toe with him. But we put our trust in the warrior who did and defeated the sin and the devil himself on the cross ever since that moment. Guys, your purpose actually is crazy. Your purpose is actually rooted in the fact that God fulfilled his. Your purpose is found when you trust in the fact that God fulfilled his. And this is part of the one of the most greatest prayer, right? The greatest prayer ever prayed was answered by the greatest answer ever given. Because guys, we know how the story goes. We know how the story goes. He said, glorify me, Father. And what happened later on that weekend, guys? What happened after three days of his crucifixion? Jesus woke back up. He rose from the dead, meaning the Father did not abandon the Son to death. He answered the Son's prayer. And because he answered the prayer, you and I were able to sing today. And you or I are able to smile today. And you or I are able to find purpose for the first time today. Because now Christ is able to give us eternal life Because the Father glorified him, the greatest prayer ever prayed, guys, was answered. And that should lead us to anchor that in our hearts, no matter what may happen. Oh, well, I'm I'm sure, guys, I prayed prayers and God's not answering them. I prayed prayers and God's not answering them. Listen, I'm good with that because he answered this one prayer. 
The fact that God answered this one prayer, I am good if he never listens to me for the rest of my life because this is the most important answer to prayer ever. And he did it. And so you and I can now have trust in him. And so now you and I can pray the prayer. Like in the same way, how can we turn around? What did Jesus say? Lord, I have glorified you on earth. Well, guys, listen, we're still living. So you and I, you know what our prayer should be? Lord, help me glorify you on earth with this eternal life that you've given me. Guys, what if you prayed that prayer this week? Lord, how can I glorify you? How can I glorify you in my job? How can I glorify you in my relationships? How can I glorify you? I mean, I got a situation. I got a problem. I got got a problem that needs to be solved. How can I, Lord, use me, help me to glorify you in this? Guys, this is important that we understand this. And this is where John 15, 8 comes in. In John 15, 8, how is Jesus, gives us definitions, guys. Do you know what it means to glorify Jesus? In the same thing, eternal life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. Look at John 15, uh, John 15, 8. Jesus says, and this is how the Father is glorified. He spells it out. Oh, good. This is how the Father is glorified. If you want to pray, Lord, glorify. Lord, may you glorify. May you glor-. This is how he's glorified. That you may produce fruit and prove to be my disciple. Another time Jesus said, prove to be my disciple. He said this, you love one another. When you love one another, As I have loved you, that will prove. So guys, listen, when it comes to fruit and roots, look at this. The root of our purpose is anchored in God. The root of our purpose, if if we were a tree with fruits on it, all right? If we were a tree, if we could put the image up, look at the tree and the fruits here. The root, this is our, our root is our faith in God. It is our identity is rooted in the scriptures. It's rooted in who he is. It is rooted in his love. It is rooted in his word. It's rooted in Christ. And when we are rooted in there, we produce fruit. It is him who does the fruit in us. And it is not for our benefit. Does a tree produce fruit so it doesn't starve? Does a tree produce fruit so it can eat? A tree produces fruit so others can eat. Guys, you and I are produced fruit of love, of joy, of patience, of kindness, of goodness and gentleness and self-control so that others can taste and see how good God is. This is what this is what it looks like to live out your purpose in life, guys, is Lord, glorify me that Lord, that my faith in you may may produce fruit, that your word in me may produce a work. And guys, I'm here to tell you, some of you, you might not like this, but you know what? If you're a Christian, think about this and fall in love with it. Your purpose is to do your best in knowing Jesus and making him known. Your ultimate purpose is to know him and make him known. That is your ultimate purpose. And there is nothing greater and better. Oh, but pastor, what if we fail? What if I fail and glorify him? I know you were thinking that. I got you. All right. What if I fail in glorifying him? I'm going to make a mistake. I make mistakes all the time. What if I fail? Listen, the point is he did not. I know you're going to fail me too, but he did not and this is why in Hebrews it says, at the, I, I mentioned this last week in the book of Hebrews, it says in chapter 4, verses 14 and 16, he says, Therefore, because we have such a great high priest, talking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is the risen and reigning king. So we hold on to our confession. And what do we do with that? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And he overcame sin and death. Verse 16, so therefore let us approach the throne of God. With what emotion, guys? With, you can't say, you see it. With boldness. We approach the throne of God with 
boldness so that we may receive two things. I want you to repeat it with me. Say mercy and grace. Online, type mercy and grace. Guys, look at what God, because Jesus glorified the Father, and the Father glorified Christ, and the Holy Spirit glorified them. Guys, the way to Christ is open. The way to Christ is open. The way to the throne is open. And you and I can run there. I know you. Hey, what happens if I fail him in glorifying him? Well, listen, you get to run to the throne to find mercy. You know what mercy is for? Mercy for your past mistakes. You find mercy for past mistakes. You find mercy for that. And then you can not only find mercy for past mistakes, you can find grace for your present needs. You find mercy for the past and grace for the present. And this is why, guys, it's such a beautiful thing that God has given us in Romans chapter 8. Paul unpacks it. Guys, you don't understand. You have been set free if you are a believer in Christ. And if you are not, I want to tell you that that freedom is for you too. That freedom is for you too. Because in Romans 8, all he does is talk about that the freedom that we have, we are free from the judgment of God because Christ received it. We are free from defeat from hell itself because God defeated sin and death. We are free from being being discouraged because now we have a comforter in Christ. We are even free from fear. We're free from having to fear what's going to happen. I don't know because it's rooted in him. And so this is why he says that in Christ, there is no condemnation. Some of a Christian, please grab this. Some of you, you probably think you're a garbage Christian because you can't glorify him perfectly. But even me, I don't care. You look at the most star, five-star Christian and their best deeds are nothing but dirty rags before God. They're nothing but dirty rags before God. But here's, that's the beauty thing, that the beautiful thing that when we know God, we are come to know and convince there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who believe in him. Meaning that if you fail, it doesn't, that doesn't matter about your worth and value anymore because it's all rooted in God. There's not only no condemnation, there is no obligation of, of having to follow certain rules because you've been brought into a relationship which the rules will flow out of. There is, should be no frustration because you know the love of God. And finally, here's the key, there is no separation. Meaning that even if you're a Christian and you fail to glorify him and you sin in the future, he said, Paul says of this, that there, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even if you fail to glorify him in a, worthy, in a manner worthy of honoring him. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God because of what he has done. But you and I need to anchor into this. And I'm going to end with a Civil War story. Some of you guys, you know Abraham Lincoln, but you don't know a story about his friend. Okay, I'm going to read it to you so I can save time. A Civil War veteran used, he used to wander from place to place, begging a bed and a bite to eat, and always talking about his friend, Mr. Lincoln. Because of his injuries in war, he was unable to hold a steady job. But as long as he could keep going, he would chat about his beloved president. You say that you knew Mr. Lincoln? A skeptical bystander uh, retorted one day. I'm not so sure. You need to prove it. The old man replied, well, why? Sure, I can prove it. In fact, I have a piece of paper here that Mr. Lincoln himself signed and gave to me. From his old wallet, the man took out a much folded piece of paper and he showed it to the man. I'm not much for reading, he apologized, but I know that Mr. Lincoln, I know Mr. Lincoln's signature. And then the person says, man, do you know what you have here? One of the spectators asks, he says, you have a generous federal pension authorized by President Lincoln. You don't have to walk around like a poor beggar. Mr. Lincoln has made you rich. 
And the whole time he was walking around begging for scraps because he couldn't read. He did not know what the paper said. And he had enough. He would, President Lincoln, his friend, had made him rich. But he was walking around like a beggar. But now he was told and says, you don't have to walk around like a beggar anymore. Guys, I'm here to tell you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to walk around like a beggar anymore. You don't have to walk around with your head in between your knees or defeated. If you are in Christ and his name is on you and your name is in the book of life, you do not walk around like a beggar. You walk around like a victorious son and daughter of God that is free from all of these things with joy and peace and hope, knowing that the same God that glorified Jesus will glorify himself when he raises all of those who are in Christ back to life. Guys, if you're a believer in Christ, you do not hold your head down. Know who you are. His if you have trusted in his name, he has put your name in the book of life. And his name now marks you. You are not a beggar. You are a son and daughter of the living king. Because he answered, the greatest answer to any prayer was to the greatest prayer ever prayed. And because of that, guys, you and I, you and I can find life because Christ has secured our salvation. And the only way to get it is to give of yourself. And now you and I, for those that got it, our purpose is now rooted in praising a God who has given it to us. And we praise him. And for some of you, if you've never done it, listen, none of us deserve it. But you get it because he is worthy. Not because you are, but because he is. And he wants to write your name, his name, on our souls. And once he does, that doesn't change anything because now your identity is not rooted in anything else guys listen you do not have to you don't have to perform for anyone you don't have to perform for your friends you don't have to perform for your spouse you don't have to perform for your kids you don't have to perform for your parents because our true identity is found in him and when it's in him there is healing in jesus name at the root of the core and in that healing there's life